Well, before we begin our Torah study, let's pray together. Baruch atah Adonai leheinu melech ha'olam, asher kitshenu b'mitzvotav etzivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. As we started our reading of Shmot of Exodus last week, I focused on five ways that God revealed himself to Moses. And these five ways are very useful because they give us a framework for reading about God in Torah and in the rest of the Tanakh, and they also prepare us for reading about Messiah in the writings of the apostles, Habrita Harasha. And so I want to review these five ways that we looked at last week, five ways that God revealed himself to Moses, but I want to change our perspective. Five ways that God revealed himself through Messiah and in the New Testament writings. And it's the same five ways. So we're going to start with God revealing himself as fire. And you remember that he appears to Moses as fire at the burning bush. And then later, as we'll read, in a few weeks, he will appear as a pillar of fire leading Israel. And at Sinai, he'll appear in the fire and the thunder and the lightning. But I I want you to join me today in sort of a spectacular merry-go-round of scriptures. Merry-go-round because we're going to go somewhere, and then we're going to go around, and then we're going to touch somewhere else, and then we're going to go some more, and then we're going to come back. And you better get your Bibles ready. (laughs) Warm them up if they need it. Luke chapter 3, starting in verse 15. And I want to introduce um, a phrase to you, tevilah of fire, tevilah. Say this word, tevilah. It, it means immersion, to, um, to submerge or to sink. And uh, it's a Hebrew word, and there are different forms of that word. The, the word translated into Greek is baptizo, which also means the same thing, to, to sink under, to immerse, or to dip as well. It's a culinary word, it's a nautical word, it's just an everyday word in Greek and in Hebrew, but it has um, spiritual connotations in the way that it's used here, because it's talking about the tevilah of fire. Luke 3, verse 15, uh, people are talking to Yochanan Hamatbil, Yochanan the Immerser, you, you probably heard of him as John the Baptist, but he wasn't a Baptist. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> the people were waiting expectantly, and they were all wondering in their hearts if John might be the Messiah. And so they asked him, And he answered all of them, and he said, I immerse with water. I make tevilah with water. But one more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. 
And he will baptize you. He will immerse you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, at Shavuot, in Jerusalem, he reveals himself through tongues of fire when the Lord pours the Holy Spirit out upon Yeshua's disciples. So we want to go there to Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 2. And remember, this is... This is on Shavuot, on the Jewish holiday, that's an in-gathering holiday, it's a pilgrimage holiday. It's one of the regalim, one of the ones that calls for representation from everywhere the Jews are scattered. And so there are Jews in Jerusalem who are from all over the diaspora, everywhere where Jews are living, and they're coming there, and these are Jews who, who now are speaking different languages themselves. The disciples are worshiping. They're in that upper room. They've performed a miracle. You know what the miracle is? They stayed together in one accord. You know, where, where two of us are together, there are three opinions. How many with 120? You do the math. They had one accord. This is a, a repetition in a sense of the sense of unity at Sinai, but it's stronger than the unity at Sinai, even though the numbers are smaller. It's stronger because there is a deeper personal engagement and a desire to go further. At Sinai, the Jewish people are torn. Yes, everything you say we will do, we want you, but there's a distancing a sense that it's too dangerous to approach God. But here, there's a willingness to draw close to God and an expectation that it will be dangerous, but the Lord is actually going to come down and he's going to fill up all the individuals and then he's going to unite them together in a very powerful way. And so it says this, Acts 2.2, suddenly a sound like a mighty rushing wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting and they saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So here you have the continuity of the manifestation of God in fire. Now, it doesn't mean that God is fire. It means that he can choose to manifest himself in a lot of different ways. The pillar of fire, as an example, that all could see as they were led out of Egypt through the wilderness into the promised land. Now, the second way that God reveals himself in the New Testament scriptures is as a personal presence and this may seem so obvious or simplistic to you that you may discount its importance, but it's utterly important. In, in fact, it's essential because it helps us understand that Yeshua appears as a real person. Not everyone thought this was true over the course of history, even during his time. Some thought he was divine, 
but they thought he wasn't human, that he didn't have a human body, that he had the appearance. He was like uh, a, a human ghost, Casper the friendly Messiah, something like that, I don't know. But he appears as a real person. And he's not just a force of nature. He comes as a personal presence. Now this is very important. And when I was a young man, growing up in the, in the Jewish world, I did not understand this idea. Because this is what I thought Christians believed. I thought Christians believed that, that Jesus was a little bit like Buddha. In this regard, he was a good man who became so enlightened, but here's what they got wrong, the Christians thought, and thus he became God. And I didn't buy that idea. How can a man become God? I didn't understand what the scripture teaches. It's not that a man became God, it's that God took on human form. That's a totally different story. But that is the story, that God came down and took on a human body. Now, I know some people have difficulty with this idea, and they say, you're trying to tell me that, that God was actually manifest in this person with a human body? The, the God who is the God of the whole earth, the God of the universe, the God who's bigger than everything, is there in this body? Yeah. That's what we're trying to say. And so for some people, that's an impossibility because they think if God is taking on a human body, he must be nowhere else in the universe. So how, how can God make himself small? Well, he could if he wanted to, but he, that's not the point. Because what we know about God is this. He can be in as many places at the same time as he wants to be. And he can do it in different ways. Now, some people have trouble with the idea that God could actually be a personal presence somewhere. And they, they raise an objection, well, I don't believe that Yeshua could be the Messiah, that Jesus could be the Messiah, because God can't just be like in one place. And for many Jewish people, that's like the trump card that ends the discussion. But that's actually more like fish. Fish, I got what I wish. You played the card, I want you to play. You see, when someone says, well, I don't believe that God can be like that in a place, you say, oh, your problem isn't with Yeshua, your problem is with the whole Bible. Your problem is with Moses. Your problem is with Torah. Your problem is with Genesis because Genesis says that God came down and he walked in the garden and the sound of the Lord was heard while he was walking and he talked to Adam. So you got a problem with that, I'm sure. And it also says that he appeared to Abraham. He even ate with Abraham. He talked to Abraham. So you got a problem with that. On and on we go. You got a problem with Moses. Because, as we'll read later, God comes down from heaven and stands next to Moses on Sinai at the same time that God passes by Moses in the distance. 
And the Lord standing next to him calls to the Lord passing by. So you got a problem with that. So really, the problem is not Yeshua. The problem is everything. Colossians tries to make the point very, very clear in chapter 2, verse 9. For in Messiah, all the fullness of Adonai dwells within a human body. That's a very important statement. This is not about a man becoming so good that he becomes God. It's about a God who is so good that he takes on human form in order to connect with us and to do great and mighty things. The third thing that can describe how God reveals himself in the British Hadashah is that he reveals that he has a voice, that he can speak. And again, some of you may say, well, that's so obvious. Why are you going through that? It's important because if you grasp these details, it helps you understand the God that you serve, and it also helps you understand how you might communicate to other people about the God you serve. Yeshua put it this way during Hanukkah in John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my... There you have it. My sheep hear my voice. They hear my voice. They listen to my voice and they heed my voice. I know them and they follow me. It was so important to Yeshua that he said it explicitly. My sheep hear my voice. Later, Paul described something similar. I love this passage in Acts 26, starting in verse 12. There are three accounts in the book of Acts about the time when Paul was on his way to Damascus with the assignment that he had been granted by the Jerusalem religious authorities to arrest Messianic Jews, even those who were out of town, and to bring them for trial. But it's only in the third account, which we're going to read here, Acts chapter 26, that we pick up on a detail that wasn't obvious prior to this. When we first read about uh, Shaul on the road to Damascus, we just read that he heard a voice calling him. And if you don't think about it, you might think that the voice was calling to him in English according to the version you're reading from or Spanish, or Russian, or whatever it will be. But here's the news. He wasn't speaking English. Now, I know this is troubling for everyone who wants to be biblical. <laughs> I know some people who, are, who, who say, well, I only want to do what's in the Bible. And I would say, well, stop talking in English. <laughs> because that is not in the Bible. Yeah, and cut with this electricity business. Now, that principle is an oversimplification. I mean, for that matter, you can say, well, the United States of America isn't in the Bible. I know that's controversial, Americans. 
but it's <laughs> just saying. <laughs> Acts 26. Paul's describing this to King Agrippa, and he has a detail in here that's going to be really important. I was on my way to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests, and what was his assignment? It was to arrest Messianic Jews. About noon, O king, I was on the road. I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun shining around me and my companions. Verse 14, we all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice say to me in King James, English, <laughs> the king's English, with a beautiful accent. Interestingly, the Greek gets it exactly right. But there are many translations in English that change what the Greek says. What, is, what does your Bible say? Hebrew. Hebrew. Do any of you have Aramaic? Yeah. Um, Aramaic is a great word. It's a great language that's related to Hebrew. But it's not Hebrew. But it's not what the Greek actually says in the text. The Greek in the text says... Hebrew, speaking in Hebrew. I, I've told you recently about um, a conversation I saw between the Pope and Bibi Netanyahu. It, truly, I mean, I, I read it and I saw different accounts of it. It sounds like a joke, but it's not. So the Pope is in Jerusalem talking to Bibi Netanyahu, and Bibi says to the Pope that Yeshua was an Israeli who spoke Hebrew. And the Pope says, no, Aramaic. And Bibi says, Aramaic and Hebrew. And what kind of world are we living in that the Prime Minister of Israel is lecturing the Pope on the correct understanding of the Jewish Messiah in the New Testament, but I can tell you, it's, this is the world we're living in, that world, where Bibi is saying he speaks Hebrew. And the New Testament in Greek confirms this. He was speaking in Hebrew. So it's, you know, a time for Bibi to teach the Pope something. It's interesting. I heard a voice say to me, in Hebrew. Say that with me. In Hebrew. Do you believe that details like this are important? I do. That's why they're in the scriptures. They weren't being paid by the word. You know, Charles Dickens was paid by the word. That's why he wrote long uh, books and serials as well. Uh, that's how he made his money. A lot of writers are paid by the word. No one who wrote the scriptures was paid by the word. So they didn't get any extra bonus if they added words to the text. I heard a voice say to me in Hebrew, Shaul, Shaul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And a goad is a sharp stick that's used to direct the movement of large animals, certain large animals, that, that require a pointed stick, really. And, and some of us, can confirm that we are like those animals. That sometimes it really does take a sharp poke to get us to change direction. 
I, I come from such stock. How about you? <laughs> Shaul answers, who are you, sir? Now, mind you, this is not a discussion in English. This is a discussion in Hebrew. Who are you, sir? Now, here's the answer. Ani Yeshua. And it brought me back to that moment when Joseph was in the court of Pharaoh with his brothers. Do you remember? And he's speaking to them in Egyptian and listening through an interpreter what's going on. And then he gets rid of all the Egyptian speakers and it's just him presenting as an Egyptian. And he changes languages and speaks in Hebrew and says, Ani Yosef. And I can imagine that this was one of those double-take moments for Shaul. Like, uh-oh. Just like it was for the brothers of Joseph. I'm Yeshua. And in parallel with the way that Joseph communicated, remember what he said, I'm Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery. Oh, that one. Yeshua says, Ani Yeshua, I am Yeshua whom you are persecuting. Uh-oh. <laughs> now you know why it felt like a sharp stick. I'm Yeshua whom you are persecuting. Get up and stand on your feet for I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen from me and what I will show you. Now, on a readiness scale, evangelism-oriented people have this readiness scale. You know, how likely is someone to respond to the gospel, to the good news of Yeshua, based on their condition right now? and their outward manifestations and symptoms. You could say that Shaul was not, he was less than zero in terms of readiness. He was actually in the minus category, wouldn't you say? He's persecuting Messianic Jews. He's not neutral, he's not apathetic, he's hostile. And it's beyond personal animosity. He's hostile because he thinks Messianic Jews are against God. And so he has religious fervor as well, and he has religious authority behind him. And how open is such a person to the good news? Answer, they're not. And so this reveals to us the heart of God, that God was more open to Shaul than Shaul to God. That Yeshua loved Shaul, Paul, before Paul ever loved him or even knew who he was. It shows you the initiative of God and the power of God as well. Verse 17. Yeshua says, again speaking in Hebrew, I'll rescue you from your own people and from the goyim, from the Gentiles. And this is an awkward thing to hear. You're going to be in trouble with everybody your own people, the people that aren't your own people, any way you want to describe it, you're going to be in trouble. How do we know that? Because I will rescue you. And then it follows up, I'm sending you to them. 
So here's the good news, Shaul. Welcome to the family. I am preparing you to go out to people who don't want to hear anything you have to say. And you know what that means? He's going to people just like him. I am sending you to them to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of the adversary to the power of God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those sanctified by trusting me and having faith in me. This is so powerful. When I think of the readiness of Shaul, I, I, I think about myself and I thought, I was not ready. I was not ready. I wasn't seeking the Lord. The Lord was seeking me. And when I had this question, because because of circumstances and the conversation I had with someone who was working with Sandy. And I said, tell me what you believe. And he started to tell me about the faithful God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I didn't know Christians thought about that. In any case, when I wanted to determine was anything that he was saying true, I asked this man, Pat Pritchard, what to do. And he said, well, pray to God and pray very specifically. And when he answers you, you'll know. And so I, I didn't do anything in front of him, but I, w- I went by myself a few days later, and I just said a prayer to God. God, I know you exist. This Yeshua, this Jesus, I'm not sure about, but I want to know. If he's real, I want to know, and I'll act appropriately. And if he's not real, well, forgive me for asking, Amen. It was like that. (laughs) And nothing happened immediately. But a few days later, when I was just minding my own business, I heard a voice calling my name twice. And immediately when I heard that voice, I knew whose voice it was. I knew this was Yeshua. I knew he was calling by the Holy Spirit. I knew this was God. I immediately understood that God was personal because he knew my name. It wasn't, hey, you. I knew he wasn't just the God of philosophy. He wasn't just an abstraction. He was personal. And when I heard his voice, I fell in love with him and his voice. I heard his voice, and I thought, That's it. Now I'm really in trouble. Because I told the Lord I would do what's appropriate. And I spent months trying to get out of that. (laughs) Yeah. And I tried to negotiate a self-improvement plan. I identified a number of things that were not quite right. And I said, I will stop this, I'll start this, I won't do this anymore. And after a number of months, I realized, on one hand, I was saying, you're the Lord. On the other hand, I was saying, but I have the final word. So run everything by me. (laughs) And if I agree, we're good. And I had this 
realization, I had to deal with it. It was really the, the time of counting the costs. I had this realization that I had to agree to the Lord telling me things to do I didn't want to do. That was the only way he could be Lord. Otherwise, I'm the boss. That was so much harder than trying to clean up some outward behavior to actually submit in my heart to his authority and his rightness and his goodness. You know why? Because if I changed a little bit here and a little bit there, it only cost me a little bit here and a little bit there. But to submit in this way to God, it cost me everything. And I had to willingly submit to both his sovereignty and his goodness. And to say, Lord, you are good, and what you say is good. It was tough. Back to Shaul. To open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of the adversary to the power of God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those sanctified by trusting me and having faith in me. Do you remember what happened next? Paul was blinded. He couldn't see. It was so, it was so vividly graphic that he couldn't see. You see, spiritually he couldn't see before. Now he's seeing something spiritually, but he can't see physically. And he has to be led by others, and the only cure for him is one generous soul, a Messianic Jew, who's willing to pray for him, for his eyes to be opened. All the other Messianic Jews in the air is like, don't, don't get near that guy. He's nothing but trouble. He hates our guts. Don't believe him. Two more details. God reveals himself as wisdom and ultimate authority. Yeshua HaMashiach, Yeshua the Messiah, the anointed one, not one among many, but the anointed one. Melech Mashiach, King Messiah. Yeshua is essential. He's not just one alternative for a few people. He's not your truth. He said about himself, I am the way and the truth and the life. John 14, 6. No one comes to the Father except through me. In Matthew 28, verse 16, after Yeshua has risen from the dead, he appears to his disciples, he makes travel arrangements with them. Verse 16, meanwhile, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain Yeshua had designated, so they meet up there, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some were uncertain. And then Yeshua came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. How much authority? All authority. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, immersing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey 
all that I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So Yeshua not only is accomplishing the atoning sacrifice that pays the price so we can be reconciled to God, but he also has teaching. And he's telling his disciples, you make disciples, teach them what I've taught you. And it's clear that he has ultimate authority because he calls for obedience. He doesn't say, well, if you feel like it, do it. And then the last thing to look at, we'll wrap up with this. In the New Testament, God reveals himself as the same God that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob knew. There's continuity here. And let's look at it in some New Testament references. Matthew 22, verse 31. Concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. This is Yeshua speaking. Do you not know who God is? He's the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Not some other God. Then Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 12. Do you remember there was this moment when a layman was begging for money? You know that, that, that great little section, it's a nice children's song, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Yeshua the Messiah, rise up and walk. Well, he did. Verse 12, when Peter saw this, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why are you surprised by this? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness, godliness, we've made this man walk? Verse 13, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, he's the responsible one. He's the answer. He's glorified <coughs> his servant, Yeshua. There's continuity. And then, then let's wrap up. <clears throat> I want to go to a prophetic scripture. It's an interesting one. It's in Zechariah chapter 14, verse 8. <coughs> it's part of the traditional Siddur and the traditional Jewish liturgy. In English, it has been prophesied, this is Zechariah chapter 14, verse 8, it has been prophesied that the Lord, yod he vav the Lord shall be king over all the earth. And in that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. Now that is so interesting in light of the beginning of this week's Torah portion where God reveals his name, yod heh vav the ineffable name of God, the unspeakable name of God. Um, he reveals it to Moses and says, people before me knew me as El Shaddai or Elohim, but they haven't known me according to this covenantal name. But there's yet more. That's what the prophet is saying. Zechariah is saying there's coming a time 
when the identity of God will be better known and it will be settled because people are misunderstanding. There are Christians who don't realize that the God they serve is the God of Israel. There are Jews who don't realize that the God that they serve has come down as Mashiach and is establishing his kingship. And that's why Zechariah says it so clearly, the Lord, yod heh vav will be king. And yet all the Jewish people are waiting for Melech HaMashiach, King Messiah. How do you reconcile that? It's easy. When you realize that Mashiach is Adonai, Adonai is HaMashiach, it resolves everything and gives us something to look forward to in that day by Yom HaHu. The Lord will be one and his name will be one. And all the confusion about who God is will get settled. There will be some people who say, well, God couldn't be like that. And then they say, wow, God is like that. Who knew? Answer, the scriptures told us. I want us to be strong and powerful in this way. To know who we serve and to know the continuity of the God who reveals himself in fire. The God who reveals himself as a personal presence. The God who reveals himself as the one who can speak with a voice. The God who reveals himself as the one who is both wise and the ultimate authority, and the God who reveals himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, one God, revealed in all these different ways. Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds so that we could apprehend and even comprehend who you are And what is it about our understanding that needs to change? And help us, Lord, draw closer to you that we could grow step by step through the process of maturation and through fellowship with you and through the reading of your word and the renewing of our minds and our hearts and being filled with your Holy Spirit. Let it be that we can grow so that we also can tell other people the good news of Yeshua the good news of the faithful God of Israel. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to close with Aaron's blessing. Would you please rise? If you can. If you're standing by yourself, I encourage you to move enough so you're not by yourself. You can do it. It's not as scary as it seems. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha, Ye'er Adonai p'navelecha v'yichunecha, Yisa Adonai p'navelecha v'yasem lecha shalom. The Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you, the Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat shalom. Join us next door for coffee and fellowship and bagels. And get your kids.